Good morning. Happy Sabbath. I've been wanting to say that all week. Every time I get up to speak and I'm thinking, wait a minute. I told you yesterday, what day is it? I know what day it is today. So praise God for that. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad those of you who are joining us uh, online are doing so today and our listening audience as well. Our series has been called uh, Going the Distance. And today... I want to talk about finishing strong. We want to finish strong, don't we? You know, brothers and sisters, I told you yesterday how much I love camp meeting. So I'm, I'm hoping in that context this won't be misunderstood. But every camp meeting that we have is a testimony against us in a way, isn't it? Because we're still here. And I was praying this morning and I have heard great reports from this camp meeting and I love that. But I think to myself, you know, every year I hear this. Every year I hear, Lord, this is the best camp meeting ever, and this is fantastic. And then year after year after year passes, and we're still here. And I think that what Elder Mitchiff was communicating the other night and even this morning is we we, we are trying to say, Lord, what can we do so that we're not here anymore, so that we can finish this work, so that we can usher in the coming of Christ, and we can hold our next camp meeting in heaven. Amen. And the keynote speaker will be better than anyone on this earth. That's my desire. That's what I was praying for, especially this morning. Uh, When I'm talking about finishing strong at this camp meeting, I want to see the coming of the Lord. I want to see the outpouring of the Spirit. I want Him to do in me what needs to be done and help me to get out of the way when I need to get out of the way. Amen? I want to pray for the special blessing of the Lord this morning. I want to invite you to bow your heads as I do so. Our merciful Heavenly Father, Father, we have been here too long. We know in inspiration that you wanted to finish this up a long time ago. Lord, I pray, I pray that this would be the generation that sees the coming of the Lord, that sees Him coming face to face. But Lord, it's not going to happen unless we fully embrace your call. And we become witnesses unto Jesus throughout this earth. Lord, we can't do this ourselves. We look to you. We ask this morning for the guidance and the outpouring of your Holy Spirit here. Father, give us ears to hear and hearts to respond. We're asking, prayed in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh boy, I want to tell you today's message. I wrestled with this. Uh, I'm taking a little bit of a different turn this morning. I had shared this message when I was in California earlier this year, and I go the, the place I go, the Advent Hope Sabbath School. They, they, you know, all the recordings go to AudioVerse. How many of you are familiar with AudioVerse? AudioVerse is a great resource for free messages, and um, let me do this real quick. This will help you, I think. I'm going to be flipping through slides and you're not going to see anything. So now that should, that, that should be a little bit better. And anyway, uh, you know, I, the, 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 I have a friend there, the guy who's in charge of the audio, and he records this stuff, and they send it on to Audioverse. And this particular um, Sabbath morning, while I'm doing all of this and, and rambling on to try to make sure that I'm doing what I need to do over here, I'm saying that for a reason, 
is I can't tell you how many hindrances have come up before me preaching this message. What I'm going to tell you is when I preached in an audio verse, it got lost. I caught audio verse after a while. I've not preached it before. I said, have you got that? And, and I'm telling you that the message I'm preaching, on, I'll, I'll just jump the gun a little bit, but what I want to touch on this morning is something that the Bible calls the time of Jacob's trouble. Something that we rarely hear about, something that, like I said, that I, I was very impressed to speak on. I spoke on it, and of all things, it gets lost. And I'll tell you, even going into preparing for this morning, everything has gone wrong, and that tells me something from my experience, that there's somebody who doesn't want it presented. And by God's grace, it will be. Luke chapter 18, and I want you to notice here a parable. This is a parable of the persistent widow. Luke chapter 18, verse 1, it says, Then he, Jesus, spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not what? And not lose heart. It says in the New King James, saying, there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming, she weary me. Then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. And shall not God avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. And then he asks this question. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will He really find faith on the earth? Will He really find faith on the earth? Now, what kind of faith? He's talking about this kind of faith that was described in this story. It's, it's a quality of faith. A quality of faith that we must possess at the end of time. A faith that persists and perseveres beyond circumstantial evidence. I mean, look at this. What an interesting story. The woman is, is pleading with this judge. And Jesus is very clear. The guy doesn't care about anybody but himself. And yet, he avenges her. And he says, how much more is God not willing to avenge? And that ought to answer all. Well, then everybody ought to be avenged. No, no, no. Because the question is, are God's people going to have that quality of faith? That presses, that persists. A faith that persists and perseveres beyond circumstantial evidence, beyond feelings of unworthiness or hopelessness or despair. Feelings are not faith, brothers and sisters. A faith that trusts and depends upon God and His Word despite any and all evidence to the contrary. This alone is the faith that will stand in the last days. It's what the Scripture calls the faith of Jesus. I want you to notice this statement in Ellen White's commenting on this particular parable we just read. Christ had been speaking of the period just before His second coming and of the perils through which His followers must pass. With special reference to that time, He related the parable to this end that men ought to always pray, always to pray and not to faint. The very context that Jesus was, the very thing He was trying to point to was the end of time. And the quality of faith God's people 
need. I want to share with you a statement from Testimonies, volume 8, page 28. It says, the end is very near. We who know the truth should be preparing for what is soon to break upon the world as what? An overwhelming surprise. And this statement here is a little more, hits a little more home. Fundamentals of Education, 526. It says, in the night seasons, these words were spoken to me. Charge the teachers in our schools to prepare the students for what is coming upon the world. And I'm going to tell you what we're talking about this morning. I mean, members don't hear about it. We have been so up on something that the big thing for the last 50 plus years in the Adventist church has been assurance. We want assurance. We need more assurance. And I'm all for assurance. The problem is too much of what we've pushed as assurance is just a human feeling. And if our assurance is based on some feeling we have, we're going to fail in the last days. Our assurance needs to be in Christ. We need to have the faith not just in Jesus, but the Bible says the faith of Jesus. Jesus was hanging on the cross and he cried out these words, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Does anybody know where else in Scripture we find that? Okay, Psalm 22. Now, let me ask a question. Now, we know that in a big part, Jesus is crying that out because the Father was forsaking him. The Father was withdrawing his presence. So why would you, you think Jesus knew Psalm 22.1? Now, I can't be certain about this, but in my understanding, I believe what Jesus was doing there is beyond every feeling that he had. He was claiming the promise of the Word of God, knowing in Psalm 22.1, this was foretold it would happen, and he was holding on to the fact that even though his whole feelings told him differently, God was going to see him through. The faith of Jesus is the unwavering trust he intends his followers to have in the last days. I want you to look real quickly Matthew 20 with me. Matthew chapter 20. This is when the disciples of Jesus, a couple of the disciples of Jesus came and had a request. In fact, they had their mom come and talk to him. The Bible says in Matthew 20, verse 20, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons, that would be James and John, came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, what do you wish? And she said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and the other on the left in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. Of course, you know, they thought he was about to establish his earthly throne. And so they thought, hey, when you do that, can my son sit on your right and left? And he said, you don't understand that the right and left of the throne I'm going to have now is going to be a cross. You don't know what you're asking. But then he says this to her. And more to them. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? And be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. And they said to him, we are able. (laughs) 
And he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with, but to sit on my right hand and my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared of my Father. Now you're going to see that play out as we continue on this morning. We're going to be talking about how Jesus prepares us for the quality of faith that will help us to finish strong. Now, I grew up in the Seventh-day Adventist church before my family left the church, and the time of trouble is one of those late-night conversation topics for a young man. I remember having those conversations with my brother, and they get real conspiracy-ish. I mean, you're into hiding places of the government and black helicopters, and you know what. It's just like, the time of trouble, are we going to make it? Does anybody relate to that, or was it just some weird thing I was into? What's it going to be like? Are they going to persecute? How long are you going to endure it? Little did I realize at the time that the biggest time of trouble, now the Bible talks about multiple times of trouble. The Bible says in Daniel 12 that when Michael stands up, there's going to be a time of trouble such as never what. And one of the reasons for that is that when, when Michael stands up, human probation closes. And the restraint God has put upon the enemy and all his wicked angels is pulled back. I mean, you look at our world today and then Look at all the terrible things that happen in our world and then tell yourself, this is while God's Spirit is still restraining. And you can only imagine what it would look like. Yes, time of trouble such as never was, but within the context of that comes another time of trouble that the Bible calls the time of Jacob's trouble. And the time of Jacob's trouble is not a, not a, a defense from the enemies. As much as it is a spiritual struggle, like you've never seen. Describing that, in fact, it's called the time of Jacob's trouble precisely for the reason that it emulates, and we're going to see this this morning, it emulates the experience of Jacob when Jacob was fleeing from his brother Esau, who he heard was coming to take his life. And in the darkness of night, he felt a hand on him, and he thought it was either Esau or one of his men who had come to kill him, and he fought, and he fought for his life. And the Bible says he wrestled all night. And if you have ever wrestled before, and I mean wrestled, not just a little playing, but, you know, just wrestling around, not for your life necessarily, but it wears you out in a few minutes. And Jacob was giving it all he had because he thought his life was at stake. And the Bible uses that imagery to talk about this time, the time of Jacob's trouble. I want to show you here in just a moment. Go with me to Jeremiah 30. The language, we get the language in Jeremiah 30. Jeremiah 30 and verse 4, we'll pick up in verse 4. Jeremiah 30, verse 4 says, Now these are the words that the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. For thus says the Lord, We have heard a voice of trembling, of fear and not of peace. Ask now and see whether a man is ever in labor with child. Odd question, right? Ask if a man is ever in labor with child. You ever see a pregnant man? No, I don't think so. So then why do I see every man with his hands on his loins like a woman in labor and all faces turn pale? Why do I see men with an expression on their face that looks like they're going through the anguish of childbirth? What is it? 
Alas, for that day is great so that there is none like it, and it is the time of Jacob's trouble. Praise God for the last part of the verse, but he shall be saved out of it. Praise the Lord for that promise. He shall be saved out of it. Now, this time of Jacob's trouble is the time that comes upon the earth when human probation closes. Now, this is interesting because I never knew this. You know, growing up, the whole thing is, am I going to make it in the time of trouble or am I going to be lost in the time of trouble? Well, here's an interesting little note for you. Nobody can be lost in the time of trouble who was saved at the time of trouble. Because this time of trouble we're talking about, and both of the ones I just mentioned, in fact, don't come until human probation is closed and every case is decided. You almost wonder why even have it. Well, that's what we're talking about this morning. Notice what it says in the book Great Controversy in the chapter The Time of Trouble, which I would recommend reading. It says here, the time of trouble, such as never was, is soon to open upon us. And we shall need an experience which we do not now possess and which many are too indolent to obtain. Now, that word indolent, anybody know what that means? It kind of means lazy, but there's something more to indolence. It comes from a French word, undelair, which means to avoid pain. So it's not just laziness, the kind of laziness, because I don't want to do something hard. And it says we need an experience, but there are too many of God's people that just don't want to work that hard at it. Having the experience they need with Christ. You know, our works don't save us, but... It, this kills me. People say, well, my works don't save me, so I'm just not going to do anything in my spiritual life. I mean, we'll put, I can't, I, can't, I can't understand the energy some people put into some things. Anybody know what hacky sack is? I grew up with something called hacky sack, and it came back around. It's just a little ball, and you kick it around, and you this and that, and, and everything else. And I remember practicing that as a kid, and I watched kids get, put so much energy into learning how to kick the ball and keep it in the air. And I don't want to just pick on the kids. I watch adults put in all kinds of energies. And then it comes to Christian life, and it's like, well, I don't know. I just, I don't want it to be works. Reality is, we're too indolent. Continues in the statement, it is often the case that trouble is greater in anticipation than in reality, but this is not true of the crisis before us. The most vivid presentation cannot reach the magnitude of the ordeal. In that time of trial, every soul must stand for himself before God. This is the time that's coming, the time specifically of Jacob's trouble. Now, let's just review a little bit of the story of Jacob. You know, Jacob had, had uh, it come to that point in his life where they were, there was a whole birthright issue, and his mom talked him into deceiving his dad. You know, the, ja the name Jacob means deceiver or supplanter, usurper. He went in and deceived his brother out of the birthright. His brother wasn't happy about that. Esau was a hunter. That didn't help matters, did it? And so Jacob fled home. Mom said, you probably ought to go. It really is a tragic story, and, I, and I'm thankful for the story of Jacob because there are tragedies that we go through because of our own choices, and sometimes we're tempted to think that God has cast us off. But even as Jacob fled, and you've got to imagine, he's fleeing home. It's got to hit his mind that, that I shouldn't have done that. And now I'm alone, and God's forsaken me. And you know, one of the first things that happened is he laid down with a pillow for a, a, a stone for a pillow, so to speak. And the Bible says that heaven opened up to him in a dream, and he saw a ladder reaching from heaven to earth. And he saw angels going up and down on that ladder. And we woke up, he, 
he said, surely this must be the house of God. So he named the place Bethel, which means the house of God. And right away, God said, Jacob, I've not forsaken you. You know, we make a lot of bad decisions. Praise God, he doesn't forsake us. Amen? You know, Jesus used that same imagery in the Gospel of John. When, when, when Philip went and got Nathaniel, and they came to Jesus, and when Jesus and Nathaniel's like, oh, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And come and see. And when he talked with Jesus, and Jesus said, when you were praying under the fig tree, I saw you. And he said, this is amazing. You must be the Messiah. He said, if you think that's great, you're going to see greater things than this. You're going to see heaven opened up. And you're going to see the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And he picked, he used that ladder picture, and he basically said, I'm the ladder between heaven and earth. Well, Christ made himself known to Jacob early on, but Jacob had a hard life. He went through this situation trying to get his first wife, Rachel, and then Leah. Well, his first was Leah because it wasn't supposed to be that way. And you know the whole story. And he served all those years with Laban and finally decided to go back home. The Lord told him it's time to go back home. His mother passed away. He never got to see her alive again. That's a tragic result of a poor choice. And as he was heading back home, as I said, he was on his way home and he heard Esau's coming. He sent gifts ahead. He tried to appease him and, and avert any kind of disaster. But word was Esau's coming and he is not happy. And he's coming with a bunch of his armed men. And Jacob's not got armed men. He's a shepherd. And he's got this large family. And none of them are soldiers. So he sends him out different ways, and he remains alone, so hopefully he can save his family. And then he feels like he gets that hand on his shoulder, and he can't see anything, and he feels like he, he, somebody's come to take his life, and he wrestles, and he wrestles, and he wrestles, is what the Bible says. Genesis 32, let's pick up part of it there. Trying to be cognizant of our time this morning. Genesis 32 Bible says in verse 22, this is where it picks up the wrestling event. Genesis 32, 22, and he arose that night and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons and crossed over the ford of Jabbok. He took them, sent them over the brook, and sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone, and it says a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Hosea calls it an angel. Jacob calls him God here a little bit further. It's interesting in verse 24, I mean, that's all you get. A man wrestled with him till the breaking of the day. Now, when he saw that he did not prevail against him, that he being the one that was wrestling with him, it said he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint. Now, listen, if you're wrestling, and again, if you've wrestled before, and all it takes for you to end the match is touching the socket of somebody's hip, and you've been wrestling all night, somebody must not have wanted to win too bad. Right? The Lord was wrestling with Jacob, and if the Lord wanted to touch his hip, he could have done it hours before. Keep that in mind. That plays into what we're looking at this morning. But finally that time came, and he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, and it was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he, Jacob, said, let me go, for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now, verse 27 is fascinating. What does this have to do with anything? So he said to him, what is your name? Why is the Lord asking him his name? We're going to have this wrestling match. I'm going to touch your hip and bow the way. Who are you again? 
But you have to understand that what's happening here is that Jacob, his whole life, is carrying this baggage. He knows that the result, what, where he is and the results of all his hardship came from that bad choice he made so long ago. His name is Jacob. He's a deceiver. That's what he is. And for the Lord to call that up, I mean, I can imagine it wanting to catch in the throat. Oh, what's your name again? I'm oh, Deceiver is my name. Oh, and I can imagine that just the heaviness of heart that Jacob's carried this so long. But that's what the Lord was looking for. He wanted to draw that out in a way that it had never been drawn out before. The depths of his sin, he wanted to draw that out and then he said, now, no longer is your name going to be called Jacob. Your name is Israel because you are a prince with God. You're an overcomer. Oh, how powerful is that? Jacob prevails. And so Jacob says, Jacob wants to know his name. Verse 29, then Jacob said, asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face. And my life is preserved. He knew who he was wrestling with. Face of God is what Peniel means. This is an experience Jacob went through. Now, this is why this, this has weighed heavy on me because there's something within this experience and we get a little bit of it when the Lord is asking his name. But I want to share with you a passage, one of the most fascinating passages in the writings of Ellen White, to my understanding at least, or from my perspective, and that's in a book called Spirit of Prophecy, Volume 1, where Ellen White describes what she sees in this encounter we just read about. She says, an angel was represented to me as standing before Jacob, presenting his wrong before him in its true character. As the angel turns to leave him, Jacob holds, lays hold of him and will not let go. He makes supplication with what? With tears. He pleads that he has deeply repented of his sins and the wrongs against his brother which have been the means of separating him from his father's house for 20 years. He ventures to plead the promises of God. He's doing everything right, isn't he? And he's sincere, he's sincerely confessing, he's pleading the promises of God and the tokens of God's favor to him from time to time in his absence from his father's house. All night, Jacob wrestled with the angel making supplication for a blessing. The angel seemed to be resisting his prayer by continually calling his sins to his remembrance. Who's he wrestling with? You're going to see in a moment he's wrestling with Christ. Does, does Christ really do this? Christ is, here's Jacob pleading and he's saying, but what about these sins? I mean, I thought that's only what the devil did. Fascinating. Now, I'm going to tell you and interject here, the devil does it in a lot different way. But just follow along. The angels seemed to be resisting his prayer by continually calling his sins to remembrance and at the same time endeavoring to break away from him. I mean, think about being burdened with your sin and you're confessing it. 
And the Lord's just like, yeah, okay, look, look, I got to go. I got to be somewhere. What does that communicate? Total indifference. I don't care about you. I mean, and listen carefully. Every circumstantial, every feeling Jacob has now is betraying him. What's the only reason he'd keep holding on? Pure naked faith in who he knows God is. The, the angel's endeavoring to break away from him. Jacob was determined to hold the angel not only by physical strength, but by the power of living faith. In his distress, Jacob referred to the repentance of his soul, the deep humility he had felt for his wrong. The angel regarded his prayer with seeming indifference, continually making efforts to release himself from the grasp of Jacob. Now note, he might have exercised his supernatural power and forced himself from Jacob's grasp, but he did not choose to do this. There was a purpose that Christ was accomplishing in this seeming indifference, in this apparent wanting to get away. There was something to that, and that's what we're exploring. It says uh, a little bit later in that passage, in that chapter, it was Christ, it was with Jacob through the night, with whom he wrestled and whom he perseveringly held until he blessed him. You know, brothers and sisters, this really shouldn't surprise us. I mean, I shouldn't say that. It should surprise us from the way we hear Christianity packaged today. Everything is so simple. Look, come forward for one altar call and everything's going to change. Say one simple prayer and your whole life is different. But what happens when it doesn't happen that way? And you pray and you're like, nothing happened. And people tell me all the time, I don't know, I must be too wicked for God. No, you're not too wicked for God. Have more faith and press your petitions to the throne and trust in His Word. Sometimes the Lord will draw us out. It shouldn't surprise us because we've seen it in Scripture. You remember when the disciples were in the lake and the Bible says Jesus was walking on the sea. And the Bible says it looked like He would have passed them right on by. You remember that? Why did He do that? Why would He act like He's going to pass them by and then desire of ages say they called to Him and then He came? What about the Syrophoenician woman? And he said, look, it's not good to give the food from the master's table to the dogs. Now we're told in Desire of Ages that he was trying to emulate to his disciples the attitude that they had as a Jewish nation. But he didn't explain that to the woman. Right? I mean, that would have been nice to know. Hey, pardon me, I'm going to be rude to you for a minute. But here's why, okay? I'm giving these guys an example. She gets no explanation, but what does she do? She doesn't waver. And the Bible says he marveled at her faith. At her what? It wasn't her feeling. Her feelings betrayed her. Feelings said, this guy doesn't care at all. I'm one of the dogs. I don't deserve this. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. What amazing faith you have, he said. The Lord sometimes takes us through those periods of drought, the Lord does, to strengthen our faith. Think about Abraham. God calls Abraham to, I mean, 
Time does not permit me to tell you everything that was wrapped up in Isaac. Isaac was Abraham's whole life. Everything he forsook was for that to be the descendant of the great nation. It was all hinging on Isaac. And now I want you to get rid of him. Every hope he had was gone. And you read in the book, Patriarchs and Prophets, and it says that Abraham, you know, God had appeared to Abraham. Angels had come to him. He conversed with angels of God. Ellen White says he goes back to those familiar places. Maybe I'll find one. He was, you can imagine, he's like, should I, I mean, Lord, is this you? Is this what you want me to do? And he went and revisited those places. He was assailed with doubts. But God said nothing. Nothing. Because he was testing his faith. You see, brothers and sisters, in the last days, the only way we're finishing strong is to have the kind of faith that goes beyond our feelings. I've mentioned it all this week. Look, God says if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Then He is. It doesn't matter if I feel it or if I don't feel it. God's true, and I'm a liar. God's the one. If He said it in His Word, it's true. And our feelings will often betray us. And the Lord will test our faith. There's a couple great statements I want to share with you. Desire of Ages 5.28 says this, To all who are reaching out to feel the guiding hand of God, the moment of greatest what? Discouragement is the time when divine help is nearest. God does not forsake you in the darkness. This is next one is one of my absolute favorite statements. You've got a lot of those this week, right? Found in this day with God, page 212, it says frequently. What does that mean? More often than not, right? The very best evidence that we can have that we are in the right way is when we feel good about it. Oh, no, no, no. Is that the least advanced? What's an advanced? It's one forward step. The least advanced costs us effort and that darkness shrouds our pathway. Let me do that again. Frequently, the very best evidence that we can have that we are in the right way, not the wrong way, is that the least advance costs us effort and that darkness shrouds our pathway. It has been my experience that the loftiest heights of faith we can only reach through darkness and clouds. And the Lord was pressing those darkness and clouds upon Jacob. The Lord himself was acting indifferent to see if Jacob had enough faith to trust him beyond all appearances. That statement, that passage goes on to say this. It says, when the angel saw that he prevailed not against Jacob to convince him of his supernatural power, he touched his thigh, which was immediately out of joint. But Jacob would not give up his earnest efforts for bodily pain. He would not be deterred. His object was to obtain a blessing, and pain of body was not sufficient to divert his mind from his object. Praise the Lord. Are you allowing the devil through some circumstance in your life to divert your purpose of obtaining the blessing of God? Don't do it. Don't let him have it. Don't be diverted and hindered from seeking Christ with all that you have. It actually says Jacob's determination was stronger in the last moments of the conflict than at the beginning. 
His faith grew more earnest and persevering until the very last, even till the breaking of the day. He would not let go his hold upon the angel or of the angel until he blessed him. And that experience, the Bible says, is going to be repeated with God's people, and they're going to need the experience, the faith of Jacob. We're going to pass, pass through times. In fact, brothers and sisters, even now, there may be some of you here this morning that are passing through times. You're like, why has God forsaken me? He hasn't. He's faithful. Trust Him. I'm just telling you, that the way we sell Christianity sometimes is so... It's so neat and tidy, and like I said, you just come forward to one call or say one little prayer, and I, it's supposed to fix everything. I want to share with you something here. I wrestle with this. It's, it's a little, in fact, I cut the passage down. How many of you read the book Pilgrim's Progress before? I'm going to tell you it's a fascinating book, but one of the most fascinating things in that book to me, at least recently, has been the conversion story of one of the characters called Hopeful. Now, if you don't know Pilgrim's Progress, it's an allegory that was written by John Bunyan back in the Dark Ages about the, the Christian life, the Christian journey. And one of his traveling companions, a man named Hopeful, was telling his story about his conversion, and he talks about how he came to the awakening of his knowledge of his own sin. He came under conviction, and he didn't know what to do, and he talked to another one of the characters named Faithful who ended up getting martyred in the story. And Faithful told him, here's what you need to do. You need to go to Jesus. You need to pray. You need to confess your sins. You need to seek him on the mercy seat. He'll accept you. He'll open his arms to you, etc., etc. Now, this is, we've just gone through all that, and so now Christian is asking him, so did you do that? Did you go to Jesus and pray? Now, notice the description. Christian says, and did you do as you were bidden? He said, yes, over and over and over. And did the Father reveal the Son to you? Not at the first, nor the second, nor the third, nor the fourth, nor the fifth, nor not at the sixth time either. We're lucky to get past time number one. And then we give up. Now notice what happens. Christian said, what did you do then? He said, why, I couldn't tell what to do. You ever had those experiences when you're seeking the Lord and it just doesn't seem like it's going anywhere? What do you do? I don't know what to do. Had you not thoughts of leaving off praying? Yes, a hundred times, twice told. And what was the reason you did not? This is so powerful. Hopeful says, I believe that it was true which hath been told me to wit, that without the righteousness of this Christ, all the world could not save me. And therefore thought I with myself, if I leave off, I die, and I can but die at the throne of grace. I prayed, I prayed, I pleaded, I pleaded. Did you get an answer? No, I didn't get an answer. Well, why didn't you give up? Because I realized that it was my only hope. And when God brought this man to the point that it's his only hope, then he revealed his son. And as it goes on to say in the, in, the, in the conclusion of this passage, and with all this came into my mind, if it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. So I continued praying until the Father showed me his son. That's a beautiful example of Bible faith. Notice what Ellen White says about the book Pilgrim's Progress. This book, Pilgrim's Progress, portrays the Christian life so accurately and presents the love of Christ so attractively that through its instrumentality, hundreds and thousands have been converted. 
That's an accurate picture. That sometimes you've got to keep pressing the petitions to the throne of God. And Jesus in this age of earth's history of any is trying to draw out the quality of faith. The faith of Jesus that will stand in the last days. Listen, Christ desires nothing so much as to redeem his heritage from Satan, from the dominion of Satan. There's nothing more he wants than to save your soul. There's nothing more. But before we are delivered from Satan's power without, we must be delivered from his power, what? Within. The Lord permits trials in order that we may be cleansed from earthliness, from selfishness, from harsh, unchristlike traits of character. He suffers the deep waters of affliction to go over our souls in order that we may know him and Jesus Christ whom he has sent, in order that we may have deep heart longings to be cleansed from defilements and may come forth from the trial purer, holier, happier. Often we enter the furnace of trial with our souls darkened with selfishness, but if patient under the crucial test, we shall come forth reflecting the divine character. When his purpose in the affliction is accomplished, he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light and thy judgment as the noonday. That's the Lord's purpose. That was the Lord's purpose for Jacob. It's the Lord's purpose for us in trials. Review and Herald of August 12, 1884 says, The time of trouble is the crucible that is to bring out what? Christ-like characters. But brothers and sisters, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Will he find people who can believe beyond how they feel, who, be, who can believe beyond circumstances, who can trust him because... He's true and faithful. Will he find faith on the earth? What's the end of our special message? Here are they. They keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Praise the Lord. Here are they who keep the commandments. Yes, there will be a people who have the faith of Jesus. I want you to notice this statement from the book Early Writings. It says, the third angel closes his message thus. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. As he repeated these words, he pointed where? What's that all about? The minds of all who embrace this message are directed to the most holy place where Jesus stands before the ark making his final intercession. You see, our third angel's message, the whole focus is, it's directing our eyes to where Jesus is finishing his work in our behalf. And so regardless where my feelings are, my faith needs to lay hold of Jesus. This is what the Apostle Paul means in Hebrews chapter 12, where our scripture reading was. Hebrews chapter 12. We will conclude there this morning. Starting in the first verse. Hebrews 12, verse 1, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, those are all the men and women of faith who have gone before us in the previous chapter. Let us lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking where? Looking at the finish line, looking at my progress, looking at my weakness. No, looking unto Jesus. The picture I get when I read this is I'm running this race. 
And Jesus is at the finish line, and Jesus is encouraging me on. I'm focusing on Him. Looking unto Jesus, the what? The author and... Brothers and sisters, I am so glad this morning the Bible does not just call Jesus the author of my faith. The same Jesus that authored it will finish it. That's what Paul means in Philippians 1.6 when he says, He who has begun a good work in you will complete it. Jesus doesn't leave undone projects. He doesn't get started on something and get distracted. He is the author and the finisher looking unto him. Trusting him as the author and the finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. What was the joy? What was the joy? We are the joy. We are the joy that was set before him. We are the reason he endured all this. He's not going to leave us, hang us out to dry. He's going to finish what he started. And no matter what anything else tells us, we've got to hold on to that. Jesus is faithful. who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And it sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, for consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become what? Weary and discouraged in your souls. Brothers and sisters, Jesus would have us look to him and trust in him. I want you to I told you I was going to finish there. There's one more passage. Sorry, Job. I'm not sorry because it's really good. Job. Job. We're going to Job chapter 23. This is fascinating. I think it fits just perfectly with what we've looked at. I'm going to share this with you and, and then one more powerful statement as we conclude. Job 23, and we're going to start in verse 8. In fact, I have it on the screen. Here I'm having you turn. I have it on the screen. I'm going to go past. I'm going to come back to this. Job 23, verse 8 says, look, I go forward, what? Speaking of God, but he is not there. Well, sure he's there. But what Job's saying, it doesn't feel like he's there. I go forward, I don't, I don't sense him. I go forward and he is not there and backward, but I cannot perceive him. When he works on the left hand, I cannot behold him. When he turns to the right hand, I cannot see him. But he knows the way I take. And when he has tested me. See, that's what's going on. I'm being tested. I don't see him. I don't sense him. I don't feel him. But I know he's there. And he knows the way I take. And when he has tested me, I'm going to come forth as gold. Oh, brothers and sisters, so will you and so will I. If we can, by the grace of God, have the faith of Jesus. I want to finish with this statement. In the book, uh, in the 1888 materials, Ellen White says this. The faith of Jesus, it is talked of but not understood. What constitutes the faith of Jesus that belongs to the third angel's message? Jesus becoming our sin bearer, that he might become our sin pardoning Savior. He was treated as we deserve to be treated. He came to our world and took our sins that we might take his righteousness. Faith in the ability of Christ to save us amply and fully and entirely is the faith of Jesus. Faith in the what? The ability of you? The ability of Christ to save us how? Amply and fully and entirely. That's the faith of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, Jesus will finish what he started. And if we hold fast to him, we will all finish strong. Brothers and sisters, you want to finish strong with Jesus today. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father in heaven.
Oh, Lord, what a time we live in in this earth's history. And even with, with what we've looked at this morning, Lord, in regard to the history of Jacob, there are many here today who are no strangers to it. Even now, there are things we go through. There are times when it seems that you are hidden from our view. Just like Job, you're working on the right and the left, but we can't perceive you. But we know you're there, Lord, because you told us, because you promised us. You've said you'll never leave or forsake us. And now, Lord, this morning, I'm asking, because even faith is a gift, I'm asking you to give us the faith of Jesus. Lord, I'm asking you to carry us through. I'm asking you to learn to teach us rather through life's experiences now as the tests increase. Not to depend on our own feelings about things, but to trust your word and to know above all things you are faithful. And Father, we thank you for this. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the promise and the hope of eternal life. And Father, we look so forward to that day so very soon when we can be reunited, reunited with you in your kingdom. Even so, come Lord Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.